Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. It's interesting, we are coming to the uh, end of the liturgical year, which really only means uh, one thing for you, and that is we are coming to the end of 2020. Although if you're probably, if you're like me, you're probably not sure what to expect, you know, um, uh, relief or maybe trepidation and fear. Um, But as we end the liturgical season, and this is what the reading is about, as we end the liturgical year and enter into the season of Advent, the lectionary and our prayers cause us to reflect and focus on the end of all things, Judgment Day. This is a big idea in St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and this is the big idea in Jesus' parable, which I'll flush out for us momentarily. But see, here's the thing. Jesus, in the early church, you see, he said he was going to return soon. You know, and many in the early church assumed that what that meant was within their lifetime. Jesus promised them eternal life. And all of a sudden, people in the church started to die. They began to experience persecution. And some folks began to make predictions about what was holding Jesus up and when was he going to return. What was he doing? Because this gave them a sense of control in an out-of-control situation. When it comes to the last day, St. Paul uses two very powerful analogies to rebuff the false teachings that were floating around Thessalonica. First, he says, uh, the last day is going to come like a thief in the night. This really bothers me, because if you've ever been robbed, you know uh, there's no control. Mel and I, actually, the day we got back from our honeymoon, our apartment was broken into and robbed. And it's an awful feeling, because there's nothing you can do about it. So St. Paul says, uh, quit worrying about it, because there's nothing you can do about it. There's no control, it's going to happen. And then he gives us, though, a second analogy. So the first one I don't like, and most people don't like, because it's completely out of control. But then he gives us a second analogy, which is really interesting, because it's counterintuitive. St. Paul describes the last day as a pregnant woman going into labor pains, and there will be no escape. I remember the night that Sophia was born, and I was totally freaked out, completely freaked out. I wanted to be in like the waiting room with everybody else, like all of the Hasidic Jews sitting in the waiting room. I didn't want to be in that room. I was, I was just so filled with such anxiety. And the doctor came into the room and said, Okay, Dad, it's time. Are you ready? To which I responded, I have to go to the bathroom. And, uh, and he looked at me and he was like, Right now? And I was like, Yes, I have to go right now. And he was like, Well, you better hurry up because this baby is coming and there's no escape. See, what's counterintuitive here, though, about the last day is, you see, when we think of the last day, we oftentimes think about something that's final. Final. The end, full stop. 
And indeed, when Sophia came into the world, that was the end of something for me. It was the end of something for Melina. It was the end of our life in one sense, but it gave way to a whole new experience as the father of a daughter, a new life. It was painful. I mean, not for me. Here I am mansplaining. I'm going to claim it. But anyway, but I mean, it was painful for Melina. You know what I mean? But it was like leading into something new. And this is what Paul is illustrating here when he uses labor pains to illustrate the last day. What St. Paul is illustrating here, and this is my first point, is that you have no control over it. You have no control over it. It may be painful, may hurt, it may change everything. It will change everything. But you need not fear it. Because the last day for a Christian is about a new beginning, a new life. And while this is applicable to the very last day, this is also very applicable to uh, the many last days in your own lives, which we're all facing and have been facing. You know, the last day of your job, the last day of a relationship, the last day of all of the COVID kind of mess. Ask any mother. Labor pains are terrible. In that moment, you feel totally out of control, and you are out of control. But in the end, it's worth it, because it always leads to the joy of something brand new. And this is what St. Paul is saying the last day is for all of us. Then, St. Paul goes on to describe us as children of the day. Not to be confused with children of the corn, but children of the day. Now, this is really important as well, because we actually, whether you know it or not, contrary to maybe what you've heard some sensational television preacher say, we're in the last days now. As a matter of fact, we have been in the last days since Jesus ascended into heaven. The Bible says these are the last. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And the new creation, actually, was ushered in when Jesus rose from the dead. That was the dawn of the new creation, which, as St. Paul says in our readings from Thessalonians, is breaking into the world. This is the main reason we as Christians celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday as opposed to the Sabbath on Saturday, like our Jewish forebears. Saturday represents the seventh day, the last day of creation in Genesis 1, when God rested. And John in his gospel, as a matter of fact, all of the gospel writers correlate Jesus' death and time in the tomb with that seventh day. And especially John in his gospel, he makes the point that when Jesus resurrects and bursts forth from the tomb, that Sunday morning, that is actually the eighth day the first day of a new creation. And so this is why we worship on Sunday. It's not just because it was convenient. It has a theological purpose and meaning. We are beginning to live in the new creation now. The new creation is bursting into our age now. Yet if you're like me, the control freak is looking around and saying, gosh, looks like the old creation, Jake. What do you mean new creation? 
looks like the old creation with all this end, with all this death, and with all this decay. Looks like we're in the middle of the night, not the start of a new day. And this is what the Thessalonians were concerned about. Paul, it doesn't look that new to me. It hurts, actually. I feel like I'm in the labor pains, not the new creation. Let me explain. This is one of my favorite times of the year because I like to get up really early in the morning when New York City is quiet and go for a walk or a run. So I'll get up at like 5 a.m. and I'll go for a walk, clear my head, go for a run, clear my head. It's not frigid outside, it's crisp, it's cool. But at 5 a.m. in New York City, by all accounts, it still looks like it's night outside. I see people walking home. I actually play a game in my head. It's a little judgmental, confessions. But anyway, um, you know, uh, and I, uh, it's called going to work or going home. And like, I'm always like, are they going to work or go? that person's going home? But anyway, um, uh, clearly. But anyway, um, so judgmental and terrible person. But anyway, but by all accounts in their mind, it's still night. They haven't even been to bed yet. Everywhere it looks, it looks like it's night. However, at 5 a.m. in the morning, the night is ending. It's morning. And that is what St. Paul is teaching here. This world's night is ending. And it is giving way to the dawning light that has already appeared on the first day of that new creation when Jesus' tomb was empty and he defeated death once and for all by his glorious resurrection. And this is my second point. While there is so much in our lives and in our society right now that seems to be still sitting in the night destined for God's judgment and wrath, the new creation has broken in. It is 5 a.m. in the morning. And by virtue of Jesus and his promises given to you in baptism, Let me tell you, my friends, you are not destined for wrath. God is good, God is loving, and God is gracious. And in Jesus Christ, the last day for you, dear Christian, as I said in my first point, the last day for you is not about death, but new life. It is not about wrath, but salvation. And you can bank on that because God is so, so good. And I say you can bank on that because I want to emphasize that Jesus is not teaching capitalism here at all in the parable, but rather with these two lenses, a new creation bursting forth, living in the last days with a good, good God, this becomes the lens by which we begin to interpret this parable that Jesus teaches and understand it correctly. What this parable illustrates is the time between Jesus' ascension and his great and triumphant return. It illustrates the last days that we are living in. And it tells us, you've got to pay attention to the wording here because it's very important, that a man entrusts three slaves with property in the form of talents. Now, what's a talent? A talent in those days was a large sum of money. 
about three and a half years of an upper middle class wage. Lords did not even treat their sons or daughters with that much money. And this man entrusts his slaves. And notice the master is good here because he gives to each of them, Jesus tells us, according to their ability, what they can manage. He's not given the guy who can only handle one talent, five years worth of talent. He gives each of them according to their ability. He's so, so good. Well, two of them, what do they do? They take that talent and they bring in more. And the third, what does he do? He buries the talent and nothing comes of it. And after a long time, the master returns to settle the accounts. Judgment day, the last day. And the two who turn to profit are praised with a hail and a hearty, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on into the place prepared for you. While the third one is cast out into outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth for burying the talent. Now, if you have overbearing parents, uh, this, this parable would give you anxiety a little bit, just right on face value. Because on the surface, this parable seems like a horrible, horrible judgment. The one who made much received much and even got the talent from the third servant. So you better do all you can for God or else. And you know, so much of our parents shape the way we view God and, and, and so much of our view of God, our perception of God, really matters in how we interpret the scriptures. And if you've had like a sky fairy perception of God or you've had like a gospel vision of God, one where he's kind of wagging your fing- his finger at you all the time, I mean, this parable just is like gas on a fire of anxiety. Because your perception is powerful. Think about the master, a.k.a. God. Think about this. And let it hit your heart. He randomly gives slaves three and a half years of salary with no measurements. I mean, I don't even do that in the office, and we're all about grace around here. But each according to what he could handle. Listen to what this slave says. Perception is powerful. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. To bring it back to St. Paul, the third servant was living as if it were night. He allowed fear to cripple him to the new possibility that might come with three three and a half years of salary given instantly. I mean, burying the talent, you know what that is? That's just another word for control. He's trying to control it. And control is a paralyzer. And it can prevent us from even getting started. However, the gospel is this. The gospel is is that Christ has set you free from all of that. What matters is not what you're producing. It's God working through you anyway. What matters is faith. The other slaves understood this. 
There were no rules, simply faith that the master was really, really good, really, really generous, and it changed their lives. Faith that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, your debts with God have been settled. And you, my dear friends, have been given an infinite amount of talents in God's love, God's grace, and his mercy. And he has actually turned you who were once slaves into sons and daughters of the living God. That is our perception of God. That's our perception of God here. And quite frankly, the truth is, with that perception of God, which is the correct one, you can't fail, especially when you do. Let me say that again. You can't fail, especially when you do. Because God is present even in that. And this is my third point, and I'll close with this. Calvary St. George's 2021 is coming. Relief or trepidation? Regardless, you and I have nothing to lose because salvation, eternal life, and talents, a.k.a. treasures in heaven, grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, they're all yours now. God is not judging you, but in Christ is for you because Jesus has been judged in your place. And in 2021, we will, as St. Paul tells the Thessalonians right there at the end of that epistle, to encourage one another and build each other up, as indeed we are already doing with that promise, that promise that you are free in Jesus' name, to do what God has given you to do, knowing that in doing, it is God at work within you. And he never fails. And even though through your failings, your shortcomings, your weakness, which will manifest in 2021 as well, even through those things, his will is always ultimately done. That's the good news. Let it be at peace and let it be an enabling word for you to take risks for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.